Am I on? Can you hear me? Is it happening? I can't hear me, but that's fine. That's probably better, let's be honest. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. Welcome to Red Tree Church. A couple things before we continue on in our worship this evening. Um, If you are visiting here, welcome. We're so glad you chose to worship with us today. Uh, You know, if you don't know about Red Tree, I mean, there's, there's just not a lot to the story. We're just a little church that believes the gospel, believes that Jesus changes lives and sets people free and uh, does what he says he does. Um, our, we, we have kind of three main rhythms that we kind of work out here as a church. This idea you hear say it every week, Jesus, family, mission. And that's just the idea that, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is our present Lord and his work accomplished on our behalf is actually sufficient to, to forgive sins and to, to save lost souls. And we believe that it's all about him. We believe that Jesus calls his followers into a new reality, a new family together that we get to share life and disciple and care for and love one another. And then it's not just something that stops within the church, but we're actually called to take the message and the love of Jesus to the world around us, to go on mission and to love and serve as Jesus did in our world and in our community. Jesus' family mission, everything we try and do in this little community comes back to those three ideas. Uh, If you want to know more about our church, you can always check us out online, redtreechurch.org. If you want to get plugged into Red Tree, you can do that online, redtreechurch.org. Every page on our website at the bottom has a little thing called a connect card. That's one of the easiest ways to to get in touch with one of our pastors. I mean, you can always just email or text us if you have that information. But if you don't, you can go on the church website, redtreechurch.org. I'm going to say it like 50 more times. Uh, You click the connect card button. Those go directly to me, directly to our elders. If you have something you want us to be praying over, we would delight to pray over you guys. You can share those things. If you want to get plugged into one of our gospel communities, we do in-home small groups. They're all hybrid right now with Zoom and and in-person. But if you want to be a part of that, the majority of the life at Red Tree Church happens in the context of our gospel communities. We'd love for you to be a part of one of those. If you want to get plugged into discipleship, accountability, Bible study, we would love to help you do those things. So reach out. If you have needs, uh, whether those are emotional needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, because of stuff going on in the world right now, please reach out. We would love to hear from you guys. If you're going to be worshiping through giving today, uh, you do that through, you guessed it, redtreechurch.org. There's a giving tab, or you can mail a check or do all that jazz. You probably know how to do that already. If you don't, and you would like to know, trust me, I'll tell you. (laughs) Uh, So there's that. I do have a couple other things to make you guys aware of. And I have them in front of me, so I won't forget. Um, we have a YouTube page. Uh, all, our, all our sermons right now are live streamed. Hello, Internet world. Uh, but that's one of the main places where uh, what we're putting out ends up. So if you want to go back and revisit a sermon or things like that, check out our YouTube channel. We throw video devotionals up there from time to time and, and things like that. We also have a Revive Night coming up here pretty soon. If you haven't been at Red Tree long, you maybe don't know what that is from time to time. We set aside a night just for the purpose of prayer and worship and just coming together. Uh, you know, when we sit here and go, man, three songs at 4 p.m. is just not enough. Uh, yeah, so we're going to do seven songs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but that, that really is the truth is we just set aside a night just for prayer and worship. That's coming up. In just a couple weeks, a week from Wednesday, I think, this is the 17th of February, 
Uh, because of COVID restrictions, you do need to sign up for that. Uh, an email went out for that. If you didn't get it and you want to come, please reach out to me directly. I'll make sure you can get a slot. We will be live streaming that like we do all our gatherings, but you know, it's just, it's just harder for, for that kind of experience. So we'd love for you guys to be here. We'd love to be at our maximum safe capacity uh, on, on that night of worship. Um, and that's going to be leading us into the Lenten season. So if you guys are maybe unfamiliar with church calendar, liturgical stuff, we're going to take a little bit of time this year to kind of remind ourselves of the Lenten season, which is essentially the weeks leading up to Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the power of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and historically, a lot of Christians have taken the weeks leading up to that to kind of prepare themselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally for that celebration by reflecting on the reality of sin, the reality of the curse, and the need uh, for Calvary, the need for the resurrection. So we're going to be kind of going into that on our Revive Night, as well as we're going to send out to you guys a couple devotionals. So one that you can do on your own, but then one that's designed for families to invite your kids uh, into uh, kind of recognizing this season and engaging it. So that's all going to be happening in the coming weeks. Last thing I'm going to do before we jump into our text for today is we're going to pray for one of our missional partners. We used to do this every week and we got out of the habit because, you know, COVID, we all got out of literally all our habits. We can all admit that. Uh, but we're, we're jumping back into that. We're going to pray for Nick Vulcaning uh, at New City Church planted in Champaign, Illinois. I would encourage you guys, if Red Tree Church is your home, you should know who our partners are, A, because we want you to be praying over them, but B, because we, I mean, we believe in the work that God is doing in these contexts. So go on Facebook, go on YouTube, look up New City Church, be in prayer over the Vulcanings. They just had a baby like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago at this point, uh, you know, in the middle of planting a church in the middle of COVID and also brand new parents in a new city uh, where they moved to less than a year ago. So I'm sure Nick Nick and his wife probably need a little extra prayer today, but we're, we're going to set aside a minute, pray for them, um, really, really believe in the work God is doing in that context. So join me in prayer, and then we'll jump into our text for today. God, thank you so much for how you love us, how you care for us, your goodness. God, today, specifically, we want to lift up to you our brothers and sisters at New City Church. God, we are so glad that there are brothers and sisters who are faithful to heed the call to go and take the message of the gospel to new places and start new works. God, we are grateful for the Vulcaning family and for the work that you are doing, the, the lamp that you have just recently lit in Champaign, Illinois. God, we ask your protection, your blessing over this church as they work through all the stuff all churches are working through right now in COVID world, but with the added burdens of being brand new and just learning their community, and just getting to build relationships, and just getting to know the spiritual rhythms and realities of their particular context. God, we pray your blessing on this sweet little baby. We pray your uh, endurance, your joy for the Vulcanings as they uh, uh, make their family a little bigger. God, we trust you to accomplish your work. God, we trust that you are drawing the dead to life in Champaign, just as you are in here in Baldwin. We love you. So we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All righty. We are in Acts. If you guys want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 6. I am stoked to be back in Acts. I'm putting my timer on. I'm not, I'm not checking Facebook while I'm up here. I just, I'm stoked to be back in Acts. It's a make sure that your timer's on kind of day for me. So that's, that's where we're at. And I know some of you were like, 
listen, man, I get it. I'm spiritual. I'm here. But the Super Bowl is on at 530. So like you need to not go over today. And I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm with you guys. So timer's on, right? Uh, so, so Craig did a wonderful job getting us back into the book of Acts last week. We'd taken a break from Acts uh, kind of after the holidays, spent some time talking about this idea of one another, how we, how we minister to each other as the church. Um, Craig bridged that gap brilliantly, taking us back into Acts and learning about uh, kind of, kind of the, the, the beginning of like the service ministry of the church. We're going to talk about that a little bit. If you missed that sermon last week, please jump online and catch up with that one because uh, God spoke in powerful ways and, and Craig engaged that text in wonderful ways that, uh, that our church needed. So make sure you engage that. But before I read the text, I do want to just, I want to bring us up to speed really quick because we're jumping into the middle of a narrative. This, this kind of narrative of the seven, as they're called, and then Stephen is going to last over a couple Sundays. So before we read it, I'm, I'm going to catch us back up. So if you recall, where we've been in Acts is this. We're literally just a few months out from the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And I think it's important to remember that, right? Because like Luke and Acts, or the Gospels and Acts, they're, they're different books, right? But, but, but the story continues directly. We're, we're literal months after the crucifixion of Jesus. And the movement of Jesus, the Christian church, at this point known as the Way, has gone from a couple hundred people to several thousand people in a matter of weeks. The, the, the growth, I mean, God is doing amazing, miraculous things. People are being saved. Their lives are being changed. People are discipling one another. People are caring for one another and meeting their needs in real and practical and present ways. God is doing amazing things in the midst of the church. And in the midst of that, right, God doing literal miracles, thousands of people getting saved at a time, they get in a fight and start arguing and people's feelings get hurt over an administrative issue in the church. And I think it's important to say it that way. They have an administrative issue in the church that causes hurt feelings and broken relationship. In the Acts church, Jesus literally rose from the dead like three months ago. They're seeing miracles happen. And they have an administrative problem and get in a fight and people get their feelings hurt. If that doesn't give you a little bit of hope for the church today, like I don't, I don't know what to do for you, right? Like you just, that's just what it is. You can't get Christians in the same room for more than like a certain number of minutes before, you know, someone gets their feelings hurt. That's just what it is. And so praise be to God, right? Like we're not, we're not that far off from what God's been doing the entire time. But this does represent a real need, a real need. There there, there is an administrative problem. The church has grown so large that the 12, as they're referred to, the apostles, they can't properly administrate the practical ministry needs of the church. And remember, I'm using that term the way we've been using it for the last month, the the service-centric needs with with their apostolic ministry of proclaiming the word and advancing the kingdom. They can't balance it anymore. It's an administrative problem. And so they have a need. They need to add further structure to the church. And so we get the seven, and they appoint 
seven people to fill this role. Now, it's important to note here, I know you're like, we haven't even read the text yet. This, this is important. It's important to note here that the 12 and the seven, the apostles and then these men, they operate similarly to how we understand the biblical offices of the elder and the deacon. And notice I said similarly, they're not the biblical offices of the elders and the deacons. It's the 12 and the seven. We're at a point in the church's history, a couple months in, where those things haven't, they haven't formed yet. The, these kind of established structures that we're going to read Paul talking about 15, 20 years later in, in the pastoral epistles, they just don't exist yet. But we're going to get, we get vibes of them. You, you could almost call the 12 and the 7 kind of proto-elders and proto-deacons, right? They, they kind of become the example for these offices. Now, the reason I say that is that we're going we're gonna to focus in on Stephen, one of, one of the leaders in the seven, and we're going to see something, I think, really important. This, this, this text is going to show us something really cool and really hard about the life of the kingdom. And I think it's important to kind of know exactly what we're looking at. And you'll see why as we get into it. We're going to see clearly this evening, I think, that the kingdom of God, here this church, the kingdom of God is always opposed. But the spirit of God cannot be conquered. I'm going to say that again. The kingdom of God is always opposed, but the spirit of God cannot be conquered. And as followers of Jesus, we will always be opposed. But in Christ, will not be conquered. Opposition will always be there, but it won't result in conquering. So with that, let's jump into this. We're in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. We read this. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and of the Alexandrians and some of those of Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So then they secretly incited men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And this, beloved of Jesus, is the word of the Lord for us today. Pray with me. Father, as we take a few minutes to reflect on your word, we just want to ask and I mean this, I want to ask humbly, Holy Spirit, be our discipler. We, we, we don't want to use our own assumptions, our own education, our own supposed biblical knowledge or wisdom. God, we just, we want to hear from you. We know you're here. We know this is your word. So we ask that you would be our discipler today. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us. Open our eyes to your truth. 
Let us leave this place tonight knowing that we've spent our time with you. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I'm excited, but also a little scared of a text like this today. It scares me because this text has an inherent challenge to, to, to our lives. There's no getting around the fact that texts like this are going to poke us right in the comfort. God expects us to participate with him in the work of the kingdom. Following Jesus will look like something and will cost something. And that's scary. It's intimidating. But it also excites me. It excites me as much as it intimidates me to think that, that, that even in the opposition that the kingdom will face in this world, even though that's a thing, I cannot help but picture our whole church empowered and comforted by the Spirit, engaging the world around us in the wisdom of the Spirit for the glory of God and on behalf of the people. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm serious. Can you imagine if our entire church, if everyone connected to our church were able to walk in the spirit and in wisdom in a way that proclaimed the gospel of Jesus to those in our world who need him? Can you imagine a whole church on fire for Christ, full of Christ, pouring him out into the world around them? What a beautiful image. And I don't just say that as some far off thing. According to our text, and I think this is what God's going to have for us today, this is an obtainable image. This is something we should should actually think on and meditate on. Beloved of Jesus, the Spirit of God is on your side. He is for you. He's for those who are in Christ. The very Spirit of God, the very Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is with you and for you even now. What a truth. What what a gift. What an invitation. What a challenge. Right? So here's what I want to do. I want to walk back through our text. I want to do our best to put this in its historical, its cultural context. I think it's going to lead us to honestly just this really plain truth that we've already mentioned. It's challenging. I think it's from God. And this will lead us to some of Jesus' teaching in Matthew. We're going to end our time with reflection and a closing word from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church and then communion. Sound good? Awesome. So what's going on in this text? Remember, we're just a few months, right? We've already said this, a few months after the resurrection of Jesus, the church has grown a few hundred to a few thousand, incredibly short amount of time. People's lives are being changed to the glory of God. People are preaching. People are discipling each other. People are ministering, meeting each other's needs. They're literally providing for the physical needs in their midst of everyone around them. And in all of this, they're facing increasing pressure from the religious establishment. Their leaders, have been threatened and now unjustly physically beaten. And in the midst of all this, they get in their first little tiff, their first little fight, and the church is forced to establish another generation of leadership. Now, I think that piece is important for us. This administrative and relational problem that that arises because of their immense growth, that, that leaves people hurt, 
leaves people assuming there's favoritism within the church, arises a need for a new generation of leadership. And the 12 are joined by the seven to help in the administration of ministry in the church. So the 12 are not drawn away from proclamation and prayer ministry in the church. Now, I want you to look at something interesting in this text. And this is a little before our text, right? But, but look at what the 12 asks of the church for these proto-deacons, for this new generation of leadership. Look, look what they ask. They don't ask for people with table-waiting experience or folk who are known as the servants or the chair stackers in their church. They don't even ask for people with the spiritual gift of service or administration or something similar. Look at this. They ask for men with a good reputation who are full of the spirit and of wisdom. The seven men they raise up are all Greek-ish or at least Hellenistic. Stephen is sort of singled out as kind of maybe not maybe a leader, not necessarily, but maybe kind of an exemplar of the seven appointed to this task. We're told that he specifically is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, I don't want to hound on this, mostly because I don't think this is the main point of our text today. But I do think this is important for some of us in the room. The primary qualifier for service in God's church is not gifting, passion, personality, skills, or even desire. It is faith in God and unity with him. In other words, the the primary qualifier for service, for leadership within God's church is real relationship with the God of the universe. It's connection with him, fullness of him. Again, this is not the main point of our text today, but it's so important for us. In this this hyper-individualistic, this our often self-centered culture, Stephen's, Stephen's gifting, as we see in our text, doesn't really seem to lend itself to waiting tables and running a benevolence ministry. I mean, as we see, right, this guy is a brilliant evangelist and teacher and apologist. But the kingdom need in front of him was the practical care of widows and the serving of the 12 to free them up of the responsibility. So what did he do? He signed up. He signed up because he loved the Spirit of God and he trusted him and he cared about the work of the kingdom. I feel like for some of us in the room today, like we probably need to stop and deal with that for a minute. The kingdom of God is about the glory of God, not our individual glory, not the glory of each of our persons, each of our desires, each of our giftings. And don't hear me say that like the kingdom of God is designed to make us miserable. That's not what I'm saying, by no means. To follow Jesus is to seek your deepest joy. It's to seek the most abundant life you can live. What I'm simply saying, what I think some of us need to reflect on today, is the truth that the good life of Jesus is really found in denying yourself to love God and love others. And I think we see that in a guy like Stephen, who signs up for the need because he loves God and he loves his church. As I said, not the main point of our text, but something to think about. So these men, 
They're raised up by God and the church to this wonderful ministry of serving those in need in their midst and, and meeting a real administrative need in the life of their local church. Like, I, don't, I don't feel like you could say something more boring than that, and I love it. I love that that's like, like preserved for us in Scripture, is it that really early on the church was like, dang, we need to organize this thing better, huh? <laughs> We need some help. Somebody come help us organize this thing. Uh, any of you who know me well are like, yes, yeah, Sam, you should take note of that text. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, th- th- these guys sign up and our text picks up our text today by telling us that Stephen's life and ministry is defined by much more than simply waiting tables. I love that. Stephen's life, Stephen's ministry is much more than simply waiting tables. We get this amazing glimpse into his actual spiritual gifting. The text tells us that Stephen is full of grace and power, that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, just for a moment, let's look at the three descriptors used to tell us about Stephen in just a few short verses. There are three things that get told us about Stephen. I'm just going to pull these out and put them in order for you. That he is of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. That he is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That he is full of grace and power and was doing great wonders in signs. I mean, dang. In like three paragraphs, that's the descriptors this guy gets. If I had to summarize the character and the person of Stephen into a single word, it would be full. Stephen is full. Full of Jesus. Beloved, I want us to sit in that truth for a moment. And here's the reason why. When it comes down to it, Stephen is just a church member. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't something special. He found salvation in Jesus and became a part of his church. And he became more and more and more and more full of Jesus. And it was so seen and so noticed that when needs arose, people looked to people like him. Because he's full of Jesus. And look how God worked through him. He was living out this practical one another ministry in his congregation And here, he begins to operate in a gifting of the Spirit to boldly proclaim the gospel through word and deed, performing signs and miracles. And what we see here is one of the most important teachings of the Scripture, one of the most important things we can pull from a book like Acts, and that's this. Men like Peter, Paul, James, these superheroes of the faith, were not superheroes of the faith. They were not some kind of super believer that is somehow better or more holy or above you and I. Yes, God did amazing things through these leaders. But man, look, he also did amazing things through Stephen, who was just a Greek guy in the church. This is why Jesus said of the church, of of you and of I, beloved, you'll do greater things than I. His promises and commands from Jesus were not just for the apostles. They're for the church. For you and I. And when I say it's for the church, that includes a church like Red Tree. 
Beloved, we can be full of Jesus as well. It's part of the call. Part of what he has for us. I hope, I hope for you that's exciting. To me, that's, that's encouraging. It's, it's empowering. I mean, like, it's also, like, sobering, right? Because look what happens to Stephen. <laughs> He's full of the Spirit, partaking in the advancement of the kingdom in his context, and immediately, immediately, he is opposed. Guys, I know this is, like, a dumb, simple thing to say, but I think we have to just, like, say it to ourselves, Right? Satan does not desire for the kingdom of God to advance. Spiritual forces are at work against the kingdom of God. And when Stephen takes up the cause, they're at work against him. The text tells us that some folk from the synagogue of the freemen, as well as some some Hellenistic Jews, begin to dispute with Stephen. Now, this is a small detail, but, but I think it's actually cool for us in understanding the larger picture of what God's doing in the book of Acts. This synagogue was made up of Hellenistic Jews who had been part of the, the, the dispersion or they had been sold into slavery, sometimes multi-generational slavery or captured into slavery, whatever it is. These are Hellenized Jews, Greek culture Jews from different large cities all over the empire who have gained their freedom and returned to Jerusalem. Although they were incredibly devout, they were incredibly Hellenized. They were incredibly Greek, just like Stephen. What we're seeing here is that the disruptive invasion of the gospel of Jesus Christ was invading every area of life. This wasn't just a movement kind of amongst Palestinian Jews. Within a few months, it was moving out of mainstream Judaism and into Hellenistic Judaism. And here we have a Hellenistic Jew proclaiming the gospel in a Hellenistic synagogue. And we're going to see this progression continue as Acts continues, where, where the gospel moves outward out of the central place where it started into the entire world and praise be to God to into our culture, right? This whole scene... It's, it's vitally important for us. Stephen's experience here, as you look at this kind of weird progression of, of him like getting like egg on and then getting challenged and then getting like drawn into court, does this seem familiar? I mean, look at this. He goes into a synagogue. He proclaims the gospel. He gets challenged. He argues back and forth. He, he can't really be beaten. Eventually, he gets escalated into him being brought before the Sanhedrin and accused of blasphemy. Now, if you've been in Acts with us this whole time, you already know this, this echoes the experience of the apostles and of Peter specifically, right? This has happened a couple times. But more importantly, this echoes the very experience of Jesus himself. Recall at the end of the gospel telling, Jesus approached Jerusalem for the final time. He preached in the temple. He was opposed. They argued back and forth, but they could not overcome him by argument because he was right. Uh, and he was so le- because of that, he was falsely accused of blasphemy, drawn into court, brought before the Sanhedrin, and eventually killed. And this, is, this is important for us. Stephen's obedience and his fullness of Jesus, his, his participation in the work of the kingdom puts him in a situation startlingly similar to Jesus just a few short months after Jesus' own death and resurrection. Guys, this isn't 
a coincidence. This isn't even like a literary device in Acts. This is to be expected. The more you are full of Jesus, the more you share in his ministry, the more you share in his blessings, the more you will share in his sufferings. This is the very words of Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10. I'd like for you guys to look at this. In Matthew chapter 10, you see Jesus raising up the 12th, initially the apostles, this first generation of the church. And he's getting ready to send them out in the work of ministry. And in Matthew 10, starting in verse 16, we read this. Behold, this is Jesus speaking. I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, be as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they, were, they, will, they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For you, what you will say will be given to you in the very hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but for the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Hear this, church. This is verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Do you hear that, beloved of Jesus? You hear this? This is part of life in the kingdom. Again, I know this is like a base level thing, but, but, but I, want us to, I want us to be reminded of this. Satan does not delight in his defeat. The curse does not enjoy being vanquished. Your flesh does not desire to die and free you from sin. But praise be to God that Jesus is strong. And his kingdom is strong and he is victorious and his kingdom is conquering death and sin and Satan. They don't have a choice in the matter. Doesn't mean they like it. Doesn't mean they're going to roll over and take it. It doesn't mean life of following after Christ is all peanut butter and whistles. And you're like, is that an analogy for happiness? I don't know. I just like whistles and peanut butter. Sue me. who pursue Christ. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. If you pursue Christ, this world's going to fight back. The world does not enjoy being vanquished. The curse does not desire to be thrown in. Death does not desire to be picked up by Jesus and thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed for eternity. It's going to happen. 
Scripture says so. Jesus is victorious. He rose from the dead. Death is defeated. He doesn't like it. So if you align yourself with Christ, if you, if you pursue the things of Christ, if you give yourself fully to the kingdom, in some ways you're putting a target on your back. And to those of you who are like still exploring faith, you're like, dang, this is a really bad sales pitch, man. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But this is the truth. I mean, this is what Jesus promised us. It is enough for the disciple to simply be like his teacher. I want to be like Christ. But Christ was unjustly beaten and imprisoned and killed. Christ was misunderstood. Christ had false accusations brought against him. Christ was was attacked by the powers of evil of this, of this world, of the spiritual realm. If you want to truly be like Jesus, I guarantee you will see wonderful things happen. Because Jesus is Lord. And he defeated death. And he saves the lost. And he frees the captives. And he loves the unloved. And he goes out and he finds the people who desperately need life and joy and freedom. And he draws them in and gives them a seat at his table. If you seek to be like Christ, if you seek like Stephen to be full of Jesus, you will see wonderful things. But you will be opposed. Look how the Spirit, look look what the Spirit does for Stephen, just as Jesus predicted. First, he works through him. He does signs. He, he preaches the word. Amazing things are happening. Then, then he gives Stephen clarity of word and thought so that in the synagogue, no one can defeat his arguments, right? He doesn't have to worry about what he's saying because the Spirit is giving strength and power and victory to his words. He gives spirit, uh, Stephen clarity. Then, when he's arrested, when he's standing before the Sanhedrin, when his, when his very life is at risk, the same spirit who did miracles through him, who, who empowered his preaching, who, who made his, his voice to defeat the arguments of his opponents, the same spirit shows up and gives him an angelic face. You notice that? Seems kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> this is the moment where it's actually really intense. And his life is literally on the line. The Sanhedrin has said, stop preaching Christ, period. The apostles have already been beaten and tortured for this. And here he is, drugged in front of the same council in just as many weeks, with the same charge. This is serious. And the Spirit of God that's been empowering and brought him to this point gives him an angel face. A strange thing. What a strange gift. No miracles, no signs, no earthquake to free him. The actual phrase there is really, really interesting. It's kind of a figure of speech in Greek. It's essentially saying that the Spirit gives him serenity, gives him peace in the face of his accusers. The Spirit gives him to endure the injustice he's experiencing. This is not a, I mean, it's kind of a spoiler, but it shouldn't be a spoiler. Uh, you guys probably know where this story is going next week, right? Stephen is about to die for the kingdom. 
It's where this goes. It goes badly for him. The Spirit of God gives him the supernatural ability to simply endure his injustice. Just like Jesus. Because, go back to the words of Jesus, go back to Matthew 10, the one who endures will be saved. This is not like some threat from Jesus being like, you better be super spiritual or when it gets to the end, I'm going to be like, sorry, you weren't good enough. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the same spirit who's going to work miraculously through you and advance the kingdom, when opposition comes, that same spirit will cause you to endure, will empower you to endure. You will endure. Beloved, this is where we're going to land this plane today. And I have, to, I have to be honest when I say this. This truth is so wonderful and so terrifying all at the same time. It's this. The Spirit of God is real and present and powerful. I know that it's easy to forget this in the world within which we live where awful and evil things happen often. Where you guys get beat up and where unjust and evil things happen and we see the news and we jump on social media and we know what we see what's going on in the world. It's easy to forget this, but beloved of Jesus, the Spirit of God is real and He's present and He's powerful and He wins. He wins. Evil does not have the last say on this planet. The curse does not have the final say. Satan does not have the final say. Sin, death does not have the final say on this creation. Jesus does. And he wins. That's the truth. And because of that, the church wins. The church endures. As Isaiah said, no No weapon forged against you will actually function. No no opposition brought against you will succeed. It won't work. Satan cannot hope to conquer the real and present spirit of the living God. Beloved, this is the truth of the kingdom. The church is empowered by the spirit of God, which means the church wins. Which means, beloved, it means you and I, the followers of Jesus, real individuals, regular church folk like Stephen, we are empowered by the Spirit and through Him, we will endure. We'll win. We'll be saved. The catch is that this often doesn't go as we expect it to. The Spirit of God was full within Stephen. He was full of Jesus. It's why they chose him for the role. He was obedient. He was seeking the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom and the the love and service of others, and he dies an unjust death. The victory will be a kingdom victory. And often look like an earthly loss. To follow after Jesus, to be full of Him, is to live the abundant life you were made for. It is the absolute best way to live in this world. And yes, it enters you into the world to come. Beloved, you were made 
for the kingdom of God. It is the absolute best possible way to live a human life, but it will be opposed and it guarantees hardship and suffering. It guarantees opposition. It will bring with it earthly loss. We have to be honest and admit that we live in a really unique time in a really unique context. We have a ton of religious freedom. And the chances are pretty good that you're probably not going to be stoned to death for your faith in the U.S. But if you live a life full of Jesus, you will have earthly loss. You will. I have an atheist friend, and last year we had this really blunt conversation about Christian living. He said something so important to me, it stuck with me. We were talking about this whole Pascal's wager idea. I don't know if you guys know this phrase, the whole idea of like, well, if God doesn't exist, I should live like he does because then I don't lose anything. But if, he, if I live like he doesn't exist and he, and he does, then it's really bad, right? So I kind of brought that up and he goes, see, that, that doesn't work. It's not true. Because the reality is, if you live for Christ and he's not real, then you've wasted your one life. He goes, if I'm right and you're wrong, then you, you'll, you will live your entire life, the only one you get, the only years you get, you'll live them for other people instead of yourself. And you will miss out on so much. So many comforts, so many pleasures, so many things. And the one short little life you have, you will have spent it on other people instead of yourself. And I sat with him and just had this moment of going, yeah, that's true. It's true. The call of Christ is a call of sacrifice. It's a call to love others above yourself, to consider others before you consider yourself. It's a call that misses out comforts and pleasures of this earth. But I still just go, what's the best way to live? It's what God made you for. I believe the kingdom life is the absolute best possible life because it's the one you were designed in your very DNA for. I believe with my whole heart that the greatest fulfillment possible for humanity is found in the joy, the discipline, the sacrifice, and the service of the life full of Jesus. But that does mean giving up a whole lot and saying no to a lot of things. And even if no one ever throws a stone at you or me, to live for Christ is to sacrifice a certain kind of life. But, but, because of the Spirit of God, we will endure. We will endure. We will supernaturally last to the end. We will find life, and through Christ we will be saved. Jesus will keep you to the end, brothers and sisters. This is part of the supernatural power of the kingdom life. You will be opposed, but you will endure because of Christ. Beloved, we can joyfully, confidently give ourselves to the amazing work of Christ. We can, we can live our lives declaring the gospel and, and, and discipling and loving and serving, knowing that although suffering will come, we will endure because, beloved of Jesus, the kingdom of God is purely and simply worth the cost. It is worth it. So here's what I'm going to do. Band's going to come back up. We're going to do what we do. 
I'm going to invite you to sit and pray and reflect. And I don't really have some cool, thoughtful prompt for you other than just to be with Jesus for a couple minutes. I want you to reflect on maybe the life of Stephen. How full of Jesus he is. How obtainable or non-obtainable that might feel to you. I just want you to be with Jesus, and I want you to do whatever you need to do in this space to be with him. You can do that in your chairs, and that's fine. If you need to move somewhere where you can have a little space, if you need to get on your knees, if you need to ask one of our pastors to pray for you, we'd love to do that. But I want to invite you to be with Jesus for a moment. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to pray for us. I'm just going to read a text. This is in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He's, he's talking about how him and his companions have paid a huge price to be a part of the kingdom work. And he uses this phrase. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Saying we have this gospel message and we're taking it with us, but us ourselves, we're, we're fragile and brittle and broken. And he says this about the cost of following Christ, the cost of kingdom life. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed. We're never driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry in this body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written I believe and so I spoke we also believe and we also speak knowing that he who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us also with Jesus and bring us even with you into his presence for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so we don't lose heart. Even though our, our earthly self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that we see are transient, but the things that we don't see are eternal. Beloved, I want to be the kind of person who's full of Jesus. I want us to be the kind of people who are full of Jesus. Yes, that will mean opposition. But the Spirit of God is greater. He's greater than the Spirit of this world. He has overcome, and we 